Amen. You may be seated. As you're going to your seat, why don't you put your hands together and say, God is good. That was awesome. Uh, I think she's going to use that. Thank you. Yes, man, I'm excited uh, today just to see what God's going to do. I got to hear this message last night, and I got to tell you, not just because she's here, one of the best messages on generosity I've ever heard in my life. It was incredible if you want just wait it was good just wait um, I'm excited to be able to bring uh, Pastor Eileen up there's been a handful of people in my life that have really formed uh, me um, and, and, and the direction that we're headed one of those is here uh, Pastor Randy and Corda can we can we please just honor them we, in fact, are who we are because of you guys. Another was Pastor Steve Finney, and, and the third couple uh, is Pastor Jeff and Eileen. So the Lord began to, to do a work in our heart that we were supposed to start planting churches. And I didn't know how to do that, especially while we were pastoring one. I had no clue. I still don't know that I fully know. Come on, somebody. But uh, I was in service one day, and this, this family full of models walked in, all right? And that was the Hackelmans, and Drew wasn't there, so it, it was okay. Uh, it was this, 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 this great-looking, great family walks in, and, and they there's one guy that's like seven foot two walks in, uh, Josh, and, and he walks in and he married Pastor Jeff's daughter. He walks in and immediately the Holy Spirit grips my heart. I was playing the bass. The Holy Spirit grips my heart and starts talking to me that I'm going to have to prophesy over him. And I said, Lord, I don't want to weird this good looking family out right away. Come on, give me some weeks for them to get to know that I'm a normal person, but I, I, I can't help it. God is just speaking to me uh, about him. And so I preach the whole time I'm preaching. The Lord's like, you have to do this. I'm like, I don't want to do this. I don't know him. He don't know me. I don't want to weird out a, a new family on week one but nevertheless the Lord keeps dealing with me about his heart so at the end of service um, I just I share what the Lord said and um, I closed service and he was receptive to it and I ran down to catch him before they left so they could shake my hand and learn that I'm not a weirdo come on somebody and uh, and so I shake his hand and, and Pastor Jeff's there and he said uh, well that was we've been telling Josh that for for six months we've been telling him this exact thing that you were telling him and he said so that was right on he said we pastor in Texas he said what's what's your background what are you you. And I said, well, I'm kind of like a casserole. He said, what's that mean? I said, a whole bunch of stuff got thrown into a pot and put in the fire, and this is what came out. Come on, somebody. That's the hill. We're a faith church. Anyhow, so we began to talk, and we just began to chat, and, and, and he said, well, and I said, well, where do you pastor at? And he said, well, we actually have, uh, we're in rural Texas, uh, around the Dallas area, but we're about an hour north or 45 minutes north, but we're in rural towns, and my heart perked. And he said, we've planted some other churches, and I said, I have to call you because that's what Lord's put in my heart, but I don't know how to do it. Come on, somebody. And so we did. I called him and connected with him, and I drove down to uh, hang out with uh, Pastor Jeff and Pastor Eileen, and they just began to pour into us. And we were leaving, and as she preaches this message, guys, it's not something that she's preaching. It's something that this family lives. Amen? And so I'm on my, we're on our way back to, to uh, Stockton, and they call me. We had just left, and they said, where are you at? And I told them. They said, turn around. We want to talk to you. And I said, okay. So we turn around. We ate at Papa's Seafood. Glory to God. We were, had all four kids with us, and this lady was watching. Come on, somebody. I said, all four kids with us. I thought you might moan and groan for me. All four of them were there. And we're talking, and this lady walks up. This, she says, hey. Hey, listen, I'm just so impressed with how good your kids are. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. <laughs> and she said, we just want to give you a $100 gift card to this place. And I was like, glory to God. So that bought our lunch, and we gave the rest um, to the, there's a tip to the waitress, because we don't live in Houston. And uh, as we were there, it was so cool. Uh, Pastor Jeff and Eileen sowed the first seed into church planting from the hill. Amen. Before, when it was just a dream, when it was just, I feel like this is what we're supposed to do, uh, out of their own, out of their own, own accord and own heart, they sowed into what now is the Bolivar campus. And so it just touched me. So since then I continue to call them and bellyache when things aren't going right come on somebody and they continue to encourage me and challenge uh, challenge us we got to spend some time with them this summer and pastor Eileen just doted on Megan and and loved on our kids and and we're just very blessed uh, by you and the entire family faith uh, church so they come down in November they they've got a farm um, just uh, between here and El Dorado they're Hackleman so you some of y'all know the Hackleman actually they're Hackleman and Bland they're the they're the they're, they're the whole, whole deal. Um, anyhow, they come down. I said, while you're here, can we do a family faith takeover? Where your church comes down, you preach at campuses, you lead worship. We're going to do a family faith takeover. And they thought that sounded good. So you got to hear the family faith worship collective. Come on, somebody. Wasn't that great? Amen. That's from different campuses coming together to lead worship. And I'm excited today to introduce uh, Pastor Eileen. They've got four campuses, uh, three amazing children. Is there one that I didn't know about? 
Nope, three amazing children. Uh, they have three amazing spouses or soon-to-be spouses, an amazing family. Can you put your, can you get on your feet and put your hands together as we welcome Sister Pastor Eileen Hackman to the stage? Great, yeah. Well, good to be at the Mother Campus. God has honored y'all so much. Y'all have expanded to other cities. Y'all are amazing. And we're so, we love Pastor Bo and Megan. Wow, we knew he was the real deal when we first came into church. And like, we were like, Jeff was looking for the pastor. He didn't know who the pastor was and he kept looking for him. And a guy in camo gets off the drums and walks up and starts preaching. And he found out that was the pastor. He thought, I'm in the right church. He's a real deal pastor. Because we're from Texas, you know. We like to hunt. We wear camo. We brought our hunting gear, and we, and we took two of them down already. So we want to give our guys a hand clap. We get to eat now. We had a menu already laid out before we came, and our menu included deer strap. And we were real concerned till last night. And uh, so Drew and John together took one down. And so John and Brittany, stand up, John and Brittany. They led us in worship. That's my son and his fiance. They've been dating for like six years or seven years, almost seven years. And finally, John popped the question. And also here's going to be, uh, this is going to be John's future uh, father-in-law. It's Brittany's dad, Kent Morris. Stand up, Kent. He played the bass for you guys. And Drew just ran out the door, my son-in-law. So we did bring the Hackleman team, and we're so glad to be here in the promised land. All the year, since Jeff and I got married, every year we would take a trip to Missouri, El Dorado Springs, Missouri, not far from here. And uh, in fact, Stockton's the big city over here, and we'd come to the lake here. And I was always told it was a promised land, and I thought, okay. And finally, when I came, I realized it is the promised land. Wow, what a beautiful, a beautiful place, Missouri. But Texas is always also the promised land as well. It's secondary to y'all, but it is our promised land. But I want to talk to you this morning. We want to come and bring you the Word of God. At Family Faith Church, we have been doing a series on faith and on thanksgiving or giving. And so we are right in sync with the Hill Churches, which is amazing. And so this morning I wanna talk about giving or generous giving because this is a season of giving. Thanksgiving, this is a season of Christmas and Thanksgiving. We give gifts at Christmas time. And so I wanna talk about giving to God, generous giving and how we can live a life of generosity. You know, God is the biggest giver ever. He is such a big giver that his mercies are so incredible. They're new every morning. How amazing is that? Also, he's generous in grace. God's grace is abundant. It far exceeds any sin that we've ever committed or any sin that you will ever do. Anything that's ever happened to you, his grace has already taken care of every bit of it. God is generous in every area of our lives. And so our personal generosity is just a demonstration of our generosity towards God and what he is and has done for us and our revelation of our understanding of his generosity. See, because we're God's kids, we have his DNA, and so we too are generous by nature when we accept Christ into our life. And so God also teaches us and, uh, and to walk in generosity like a mom smiles a baby into smiling, so God gives us into giving. He's so generous. You know, they say you can't slap a baby happy. Everybody looks straight ahead. Some of you may have tried to do that. But, uh, but you, you, you can smile a baby into smiling. And so God loves us into loving and he gives us into giving. And a lot of people, though, feel like they're generous until they meet someone who is generous. And you think, wow, that is generosity. The opposite of generous is ungenerous or stingy. And none of us want to be stingy. We don't want them to put on our tombstone, here lies stingy. No, we want to be generous. We all want to be generous. 
but generosity is a characteristic of God. And people really don't care how talented you are. They don't care how uh, awesome you are. They don't care how gifted you are. If you are stingy because God is generous, he's love and he's giving. And so this morning, we're going to talk about generous giving, and we're going to talk about it in the area of our finances, a very important area in the Word of God. In fact, you would be surprised to find out that 2,000 times in the Word of God, it mentions the word give. In the area of finances, 500 prayer and 500, it mentions the word faith, but 2,000 times it mentions the word give, and it mentions the word give in relationship to our finances. In Luke 16, the Bible says this, Jesus said, if you're faithful in the area of money, God will commit to you true riches. True riches are something that's really not money then. And so it's nice to have money. Money is great. It's better. It's, it, but, but there are things that are better than money. There's wisdom for life, godly wisdom for life. There is eternal life. There is revelation knowledge. There is family and that the family of God, and that is all better than money. But money is nice to have. Money can buy you a beautiful, extravagant house, but money cannot buy you a home. Money can buy you, though, it can buy you an expensive bed to sleep on, but it cannot buy you a peaceful night's sleep of rest. So money's good, but there are better things than money, and that is the true riches that God can give you in life. But God says here, if, if I can trust you, if you're faithful in the air of money, then I can also see that I can commit to you true riches. God will do things for you that money cannot do. Jesus says this, if you can pass the money test, then I can commit to you true riches. See, your generosity is a reflection of your heart and what is in your heart and where your heart is. Jesus said where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, there is a string that is attached to the place your money goes. And so where my money goes, my heart follows. Where my treasure is there will my heart be also. So if my, if my treasure and my money goes to my red Corvette, then my heart ends up being attached there, amen? And so it's not a minor subject in the Word of God. No, it's a major subject. It's not a minor subject to Jesus or in the Bible concerning generosity and concerning giving. It is the heart of the matter and the subject in the Word of God. It's, an out, it's, uh, it's an, uh, one of the most outstanding chapters in the Bible is 1 Chronicles 29 that talks about generosity. In fact, in the Word of God, there are whole chapters given to generosity, not just individual verses. And so here in 1 Chronicles 29 is one of the most amazing chapters. It's about a man who is a man after God's own heart, that God himself called David this. And so it's a chapter about David and his generosity. There was a time, there came a time to build the house of God. And so David said, I have prepared with all of my heart and might for the house of God. And the way he prepared was he prepared to bring an offering to the house of God. He said, I have set my affection on God's house. He said, I'm going to give over and above anything that I have ever given before to the house of God. And David told how much he gave. He told how much he gave to the house of God, and then he turned to his other friends and mighty men and challenged them to give. And he said, hey, guys, how much are you going to give? So David told how much he gave for one reason. He told how much he gave because you can't lead people into generosity if you are not generous yourself. You see, because there will be a little chicken in your voice if you're not generous yourself. And so if you're trying to pee, lead people into places you, that you don't do or try to get them to do stuff you don't do, then uh, it's not going to, uh, you're not going to be leading them. You're going to be trying to push them, and you can't push people into things. You've got to lead them. And so in today's dollar, David tells us how much he gave into, in the house of God. 
And so we added it up, and it was approximately one and a half billion dollars that David gave. He gave over and above. Back then, you couldn't write a check. One, uh, you know, one and a half billion dollars. No, he brought wagon loads of gold and silver to the house of God. Now, if I were to take $100 bills and I were to stack them up, and and I was going to, you know, stack them up to, to equal a million dollars, then uh, they would they would stack up to four feet high. But if I were to take $100 bills and stack them up to me, to, to, so they would equal a billion dollars, they would stack up all the way to the Empire State Building. And so David gave a whole Empire State Building and a half to Jesus of $100 bills to the house of God. And so he gave one and a half billion dollars to the house of God. And then he turned to his mighty men and he said, now, what are y'all going to do? And I'm sure some of them might have said, uh, I was going to sing in the choir. <laughs> so you see, because a lot of people want to sing like David sang. And a lot of people want to maybe even dance like David danced. But not too many people want to give like David gave. And so, but David gave. All and he gave because see it was that was the string that was attached to his heart. You see, because because the reason I believe that David sang like he sang and danced like he did is because he had a revelation of generosity and God's generosity to him, and he walked in generosity. And so I believe that's why he was so free to worship God, knowing that God was truly the source of his life. He was not going to put his trust in mammon or put his trust in money. No, God was the supplier of his life. And so he gave over, ended up giving over $2 billion to the work of God and the house of God there when they built the temple. Remember after they built the temple, people just gave and gave so much. It was just such a powerful move of God that the glory of God filled the temple. His generosity, the Bible says, he said this, it literally affected the next generation. And you could say that your generosity would affect the next generation in your life so much that it took them to a next level place. Jeff and I are here today because of our parents and their generosity towards God. But our parents were so poor, they couldn't even pay attention, but they still gave to God, and they gave from the sacrifice of their heart, and we are here today because of what they have done, and now we are teaching and practicing generosity and following in their footsteps, and I believe God is going to take us to new levels as generations come behind us. And so they were so poor, my husband had to, he only had a couple of pair of jeans. And so for the week, he would wash his jeans and he would starch them and iron them so much that they would stand up straight beside him, standing beside him without even putting his legs in them. And my parents were poorer than that. But here we are teaching, but when we talk about generosity, we got to talk in God's language. We got to talk according to God's word. Instead of our language, we talk God's language, and God's language is tithe, it's 10%. And so we give 10% and bring it to God. And because we love Him so much, we're so thankful. He's given us everything. Everything we have today, the breath we breathe, was given by God to us. So 10% we bring to the Lord, and we bring offerings. That's over and above an almsgiving, the Bible teaches. It breaks the spirit of self-centeredness in our life. It breaks the spirit of greed off of our life. It breaks the spirit of mammon off our life when we give. It breaks the spirit of being self-absorbed when we give. Self-absorbed people are miserable people. They are just depressed people. And when we give, it breaks the spirit of the world off of our life. And our generosity affects our children, David said in the word of God here. And it affects our grandchildren and our children's children. Even after your funeral, your generosity will be blessing and affecting generations past you and beyond you. Isn't that powerful? Give the Lord a hand of praise this morning. That's an awesome thing. So David was a man after God's own heart, and he left his giving print in his world and generation. His heart reflected his generosity towards God's house. And he turned his mighty man, and he said, Now, what are y'all going to do? No pressure. But they did end up giving $2 billion. These are the mighty men who came to David. When they came to David, they were in debt. They were discouraged. They were discontent. 
they were pretty bad off, but God had blessed them, obviously. And so they gave, and they, he had about, uh, he had 400 mighty men, so they probably gave about 10 million, uh, 20 million apiece, and that equal two and a half billion dollars. You could say they got out of debt. And we could say that God is not opposed to you being abundantly blessed. That God's not opposed to you being uh, provided for in a great way. God's not opposed to you being blessed. Are you being rich? God wants to bless you and he wants to make you rich. The blessing of the Lord maketh rich and addeth no sorrow with it. But God in the word of God charges you when you do become blessed and you do become rich. In 1 Timothy 6 and 17, Paul is speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He's speaking to Timothy, a pastor. And he tells him in 1 Timothy 6, by the Spirit of God, he says, charge those who are rich in this world not to be high-minded or trust in uncertain riches. God wants to bless you, but don't trust in money. He says, but in the living God who gives richly all things to enjoy. God wants to give you money. He wants to bless you. And he wants you to enjoy those things. And he tells him, he says, talk to the people in your church, Timothy, specifically rich people. So I thought, wow, there's supposed to be rich people in the church. I'm going to sign up for that department. I think I'll volunteer. How many of you ready to volunteer for that department? And so he, uh, so I want to volunteer for that department. But anyway, he said, talk to the rich people. There is an important thing you need to hear when you become a part of that department. He said, tell them that there's a responsibility that comes with that and tell them don't be high-minded. In other words, don't feel like you're more valuable than other people just because you have more money. Just because you have a bigger bank account doesn't mean you're more valuable than other people. The blood of Jesus was shed for everybody the same, rich and poor. And he exhorts them to stay little in your own eyes. So when you, God blesses you, you got to learn to stay humble and little in your own eyes. Don't be high-minded. Don't trust in those riches. It's interesting how many times Jesus speaks to and addresses rich people in the Word of God. We read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Many times Jesus would say there was a certain rich man, and then he said there was another rich man in another place, and he says there was this other rich man in another place. And so God is talking to the rich people, and he's saying, be careful. Don't trust in your riches. In other words, money's nice, but money makes a terrible God. It's, you do not want money to master you. You want to master money. So it's so important for us to, he says, to do these things and to, and then he goes on to say, he says, be ready to distribute and willing to communicate, laying up in store for yourselves a good foundation against the time to come that, that, that they may lay hold on eternal life. In other words, rich you should be rich in good works and you should be ready to distribute. Another translation says that you become extravagantly generous. So when you and I give money and we get blessed, God says that he wants us to be extravagantly generous. So let me give you a good definition of rich. So you're probably thinking in today's world, rich. You're probably making, thinking, well, let's make sure that, that this CD gets to Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, and Jeff uh, Bezos, the Amazon guy, whatever you say his name. Make sure they get this CD. But the real definition of rich in our time, in today's world, it, they say if you make over $40,000 a year, and for your entire household income, that's husband and wife, a kids, dog, everybody, horses, cows, that, that you're in the top 4% of the richest people in the world. And so let's put it this way. 90% of the people in the world, if you make over $40,000 a year, consider you to be rich. So don't be thinking about Gates this morning or Bezos, or Buffett. 
Look at the person next to you and say, I think he's talking about you, the Word of God. So in the Word of God, Paul's talking to you, and Timothy's talking to you in the Word of God. In other words, if you think that you're not rich, we need to take a trip to India where I've been and Vietnam, different places of the world. I'm telling you, we're so blessed in America. We should be thankful to God for his blessings. He's blessed us abundantly. We should thank God every day for his abundant blessings. Wow. And he says, charge those who are rich to be extravagantly generous. And so the definition of extravagantly generous means unrestrained, which David was in the generosity, his generosity towards God. You know, we love the extreme sports. We love to play them. We love to do them. We love to go to and, and ride the extreme rides. What if it, they're a thrill? But what if we decided we were going to step out and that we were going to be extreme with God? Extreme and be extravagantly generous with God. And what if you stepped out and said, hey, I think I'm going to give 50% of my income for the rest of my life. That would be extravagantly extreme. Then you'd have to turn around and say, oh my gosh, I hope there's a God and I hope he can count. I actually did this. Whenever I got on fire for God, I, got, I was so in love with Jesus that I started giving 50% of my income until I met my husband, Jeff, and he said, Eileen, what are you doing? We're not going to give that much, so he balanced me out, <laughs> you guys. But I was so in love with Jesus, and I was just so extravagant and, and because I loved him so much. And so Jeff did end up balancing me out, and then today we're able to give more than we ever given in our life because of that. And so your extravagant generosity is a reflection of God's generosity to you. And God was so generous to me, I decided to step out of my comfort zone. I was working for a doctor, Dr. Bakari. I was running her office, and I just wanted to give so much to Jesus. I loved him so much. And, uh, but, but as you and I become extravagantly generous, we are putting our faith and our confidence and hope in God. But start, start where you're at. Start where you're at. Start, start you know, just take a, a small step and start where you're at. The scripture said that David gave that way, and it says that, that they got so happy in First Chronicles 29 that they radically started worshiping God with exceeding great joy. And so that's a point I want to make this morning is that when you give, you become a happy person. You're actually acting out of God's nature on the inside of you. And, and David said this, Lord, keep this forever in the memory of your people how that at this event, people gave generously and they gave out of their hearts so big. David said, keep this forever in the memory of your people. And he said, who am I that you would cause me to be able to give this way? See, David was a nobody and God made him a somebody. God blessed David so much, and I believe that God blessed David so much in this way because he saw David's heart. He saw he had an extravagant heart, and he enabled him to give beyond his wildest dreams. And, and, it, beyond, and God can enable you to give beyond your wildest dreams. He can empower you to give generously like that and be a blessing. The Bible says God loves a cheerful giver. The Amplified says he prizes above other things and will not abandon or do without a cheerful, generous, hilarious giver whose heart is in his giving. Another translation says a laughing giver. But most of us give with a consciousness of subtraction and we give enough to let it irritate us just enough to be irritated oh my gosh all right you know and uh, but what if we gave generously what if we gave with an extravagant generous heart and cheerfully with 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 God's thinking God's mind set and God's 
kingdom thinking of increase. What if we gave with increased thinking? If you give with increased thinking, then the Bible says that you will walk in abundance. Proverbs 11 and 24, there is that scattereth and yet increaseth. There is that withholdeth and it tends to poverty. You got to think like God thinks to give generously. The liberal soul shall be made fat or rich. The generous soul, as another translation says, will be made rich. Absolutely provided for, another, another translation says. He that watereth shall be watered himself. See, lack doesn't come from what you don't have. It comes from what you have that you're not supposed to have, shouldn't have, and you've held on to. You've got to think like God thinks to increase. And to do what the scripture says, another translation said, one gives away and gets richer, and another keeps at what he should give and gets poor. In other words, generosity is your way of increase according to the word of God. You can give, and God can supernaturally give you resources. He can supernaturally open your eyes to things you have not seen before. He can supernaturally make connect supernaturally make connections for you you got to think like the farmer thinks the word of god says See, the farmer knows the lack is in the seeds that he holds on to. When he lets go of the seed, he knows he's got a harvest coming. If a farmer only plants one kernel from all of his harvest and the corns that he has brought in, one little kernel, he's not going to have a big harvest. No, he needs to go ahead and plant the seeds to enjoy a generous harvest. And this is what Cornelius did in Acts chapter 10. Cornelius, his prayers and giving and almsgiving came up before the Lord as a memorial. You know, God pays attention to your giving. God sees when you give. And Cornelius, he wasn't even a Jew, but his, his prayers and offering and alms came up as a memorial before the Lord and God sent some people to preach to his family and all of his family got saved. God gave him what he could not buy with money. And so in the study of the four gospels, we see that Jesus is mentioned in a church. He's there in a church and so God pays attention to your giving. And so here Jesus is in a church setting, and if Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, then he's probably doing the same thing he did back then when he was standing by at the church. He was standing by the church offering plate. So here Jesus is standing by the offering plate, and he is watching what people give. And so people come by, and people give a lot of money. Rich people give a lot of money. And then a lady came by. She only had a few mites, and she gave those mites. And Jesus said she gave more than them all. And wow, they were shocked. Oh, that's interesting, Lord. But you know what? Jesus sees where you're at. She gave out of her want. She gave out of sacrifice. And I'm telling you, Jesus notices when you give. And he probably is looking today, and he probably watches us as we give and go by the offering plate. And as we give, he might even roll his eyes at the angels in heaven sometimes. Look at the offering plate, roll his eyes, say, oh no. She used, she used her offering on nails this week. I got to get the guys. They use their offering on a new fishing pole this week. But uh, Jesus sees it when you give. But don't you like it that no matter at what level you are, you can be a generous giver? Because she outgave everybody. Generosity can happen in anybody. You don't have to be a rich person to be generous is what God was saying, is what Jesus was saying. You don't have to be a rich person to impress God. You give out of what you have. You give where you're out. You can outgive people if you are not rich you can be the poorest pe person in your community and you can outgive every person in your community anybody can qualify for generosity 
The scripture says if you give those sparingly, then you're going to reap sparingly. If you give bountifully, you're going to reap bountifully. I'm interested in a generous harvest, so I think I'm going to give generously. How about you give the Lord a hand of praise this morning? 2 Corinthians 9 and 6, the harvest never gets confused. You see, because you don't have to worry about sparing, sowing sparingly and reaping generously or sowing generously and reaping sparingly because the harvest never gets confused. In other words, your seed is labeled when you sow it. So it's labeled generous or it's labeled sparing. And it has a return address and it's coming back to you. It, 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 your seed is guaranteed. It's coming back to you. You're going to receive your harvest. God has guaranteed your seed. And so I want to close and read to you some of the tithers. But first I want to tell you of our modern day tithers. But I want to first tell you a story uh, about a lady who gave. And her name is Otzi, and she lived in Africa. She was a lady at the age of six who was, she was, um, she was kicked out of her city. Her parents had to uh, kick her out of the city because she was a leper. And she uh, had to just uh, wander in the forest and survive there in Togo, in Africa. And Bill Lubbock was a missionary that was sent to Togo, to Africa there. And so she wandered there and tried to survive. And at the age of like eight years old, she, she so wanted and longed to see her mom and dad that she went back to the city and stood outside the city and peered in on the people. And as they, hoping to see someone that she knew and her mom and dad and loved, she just wanted to glance at them. And some of the men in the city saw her and they sent the dogs after her and they attacked her and ripped her apart and so she made it to an area where she became a slave and so she had gotten older and Otzi had grown up and gotten older and Bill Lubbock came to Africa started a church there missionary work and so she came and would come and stand outside and listen to him preach and so he was trying to convince Otzi that Jesus loved her and she would say don't lie to me white man no one has ever loved me God doesn't love me. And so he finally started preaching and saying, God cares for you in his heart. He was asking God, give me words to convince this lady that you care for her and love her and you feel for her in your heart. And so we finally convinced Otzi that Jesus loved her. And so he, she came to the Lord and she was, you know, got saved and gloriously filled with the Holy Spirit. And as she was filled with the Holy Spirit, that was a glorious experience. Maybe we'll preach about that sometime. But he said, we're going to bring an offering to the Lord. And so he said, Sunday morning, everyone is going to bring a harvest offering to the Lord. They did this once a year. And so she realized she didn't have anything. And so she said, God, I don't have anything. So she decided that she would go to a, another, um, another um, a tribe, an area. And she knew uh, this tribe and area, and she had been there before. And so she went there and traveled all night. It took her all night to get there. She traveled all night to this tribal area, and she had to go before the chief in the area. And they had peanut fields there, and she knew they did. And she wanted to fill her bucket up full of peanuts to give to God. And so after traveling all night, she comes before the chief. And so there the chief is. She has to bow before him, touch her nose to the ground, and tap the floor 12 times. And then she you know, lifts her head up, and she says, Chief, I'm gonna, I love the Lord. And I want to bring him a harvest offering. And she said, but I don't have anything to give God. She said, can I go in your fields, your peanut fields, and before the monkeys and the bamboos, uh, come baboons come and uh, take the peanuts after you've harvested then I want to be able to go before they come and get an offering for the Lord and and he said well sure you can do that and so she goes and she gets her bucket and she goes into the fields and with the, the nubs she has left of fingers because her fingers leprosy causes you to lose your limbs and she had lost most of her uh, fingers, the tips of her fingers and so she goes and she's digging for peanuts and putting them in her bucket and her bucket is three-fourths full after three days. And her fingers are bleeding, her nubs are 
All right, she's bleeding. They're white. They're red. They're bleeding. It's they're raw. They look terrible. And her bucket's only three fourths full. And so finally, she says, she says, I can't give God three a three fourths full bucket. She says, I've got to work harder, and I need to get more. And she couldn't work anymore with her fingers because several of her uh, parts of her finger had fallen off. And so she, she decides, I'm going to bring God a full offering. My bucket will be full. And so she begins to take, and with her toes that she has left of her toes, she begins to dig. And back in Africa, it's rock and soil. It's not just soil, but it's rock and soil. And she's digging through the rock and the soil, and she's getting peanuts. And she's filling her bucket full for God of peanuts. And she brings her offering. And she travels all, all night again and makes her way there. And she shows up there on Sunday morning with her, her bucket, her basket full of peanuts, overflowing with peanuts for God. She begins to walk down the aisle. And as she walks down the aisle, a little boy is bringing a chicken to the Lord. And he has a chicken tied up. And that chicken runs past her and knocks her over. And she, she drops her offering and she begins to weep. People are passing by her to bring the offering to the Lord and just walking past her, stepping on her peanuts. And the lady sees her weeping and she goes over there and she starts picking up her peanuts and putting them back in her bucket. And so the lady starts to take the bucket up for her to the front. She says, no, wait, wait wait, that's my offering. I want to give that offering to the Lord. So she takes the offering, picks it up, and brings it up to, to the Lord. And there Bill Lubbock is, the pastor, and brings her offering. And Bill Lubbock looks down at the offering, and the Lord speaks to him. And he says, Bill Lubbock, he said, never have you seen this generous and this great of an offering in your life. And he said, never will you see this great of an offering for the rest of your life. He said, God, this is only four cents worth of peanuts. How can be this be the greatest offering that I've ever seen and will ever see? He said, because it came from the sacrifice of the heart of the giver. And, he, and this morning, I want you to know that as we give to God, no matter where you are, no matter what you have, as we bring our offering to the Lord, he sees your offering. He sees what you give to him, and he sees the sacrifice of your heart. And I want to read to you, in closing, a few modern-day givers, uh, some uh, tithers that are noted in America, uh, a small list of them here. J.C. Penney, owner of J.C. Penney Stores, was a tither. Mr. Kraft of Kraft Cheese Company, he started tithing when uh, he was uh, pushing a cart in New York and he was selling cheese and milk. A.A. Hyde, owner of Mentholatum, a tither. Mr. Hines of 57 Variety, a tither. Mr. Kerr of Kerr Jar Company, a tither. Mr. Proctor, Proctor and Gamble and Ivory Soap, a tither. Mr. Hershey of Hershey's Chocolate, a tither. How many are you getting hungry now? Mr. Kellogg, Corn Flakes, a tither. Mr. Quaker Oats, a tither. William Colgate, Colgate Toothpaste. He is a tither. He started tithing when he was a young man, and he started at 10%, then 20, then 30, then 40, then 50, and he saved enough money to live on, and he gave all of his income to the Lord. Wow. John D. Rockefeller, one of the richest men, men in the world, financial wizard of the world, began tithing at the age of eight years old. He said, I've tithed on every dollar God has entrusted to me. He said, I want to say to you, I could have never tithed on my first million if I didn't tithe on my first salary of $1.50 a week. He became the richest man in the world. Start where you are. If you haven't started, start today. R.D. Latourno, born-again believer and manufacturer of earth movers and all kinds of heavy equipment, accepted Jesus Christ and decided to go into the business with God. Everything went really good for a few years. Then he began to get off track, and he started getting behind financially. He told God, I can't afford to tithe. 
So we said, just give me a chance. I'm going to build my business, and then, God, I will start tithing. He had gotten off track, and he was about to go bankrupt when he talked to God, and God said to him, it takes faith to tithe on the front side and not wait to give me the leftover. So he gave his first fruits to God, and he kept doing that, and R.G. Letourneau became a very, very wealthy man. He's a wealthy man in heaven, and as well as on this earth. He gave 90% of his income and lived on 10% of his income. He's in East Texas there, Earth Movers Machines, and he said to God, if you'll prosper me, I'll give you 90% and live on 10 and I would rather, I would rather have 10% of 100 million than 90% of 50,000. How about you? God can bless you. He blesses us in the blessing. He blesses us in the places where no man has ever gone before in our life and family. Maybe other people have gone before, but maybe there's places your family hasn't gone before. Maybe you're the first one that's going to go there. I want you to know whenever Family Faith Church was getting ready to, we were just packed. And so we were going to build a new building. We didn't have the money to buy the building. And I remember when Jeff and I went over there to sign for the building, I felt like I was signing my life away. I had my baby in my hand, Sarah. She was a few months old. And uh, so our church, uh, you know, we didn't have the money to buy this new building. So I remember the spirit of giving just poured out in our church. And there was one meeting on one night, I believe it was on a Sunday night or Wednesday night, where God moved. People started giving. They just started taking generosity, started having it. People took stuff. I mean, people were given rings. I gave my wedding ring that night. People gave their shoes in the offering. I remember putting my wedding ring in the offering. People were weeping. The whole church was weeping. It was powerful. And so I gave my wedding ring in that offering that night. And, and I will tell you, we took up enough money to, to, to move to our new building where we, now, where we are now. Amazing. Wow. God's blessed us so much. We've been there for several, several decades now, a couple decades. But anyway, I, I gave my wedding ring. And so I put my wedding ring off and I get back home and uh, I told Jeff, I said, well, I put my wedding ring off. And he said, you did what? This is the pastor, you know, Jeff. No, he's generous with God. We should be generous at Walmart. We should be frugal at Walmart and generous with God. Amen? That's what Jeff is. He's generous with God, and he's frugal everywhere else. And so, uh, I, but I put my uh, wedding ring in the offering, and he said, you did what? He's the one that said when I said I was giving 50%, you're doing what? You know? God said, good 10%. And uh, so, I, but he is very generous. We, we give way more than 10%. And so um, I get put wedding. He said, well, you're going to have to, God's going to have to give you another one because I'm not buying you another ring. If that was God, then he's going to give you another ring. So sure enough, uh, it, it, this has been I mean, months later. And uh, people are saying, I'm going to buy you a special ring to put on. But uh, I, I, I woke up one morning. I said, Jeff, I know where my ring's at. He said, you do? I said, yeah. I know where my wedding ring is. It's on Westheimer. The Lord showed me it's on Westheimer at a pawn shop there. He said, okay. <laughs> so I hauled him. He, he followed me over to Westheimer. It's a street in Houston where they have pawn shops, a few pawn shops there, but it's, it's, it's a nice area of Houston. And so we go there, and we walk into several pawn shops. I don't know which one it's in. And we walk into one pawn shop. There's a Jewish, Jew, Jewish jeweler that owns the pawn shop. And so he had made a ring there. And, and so when we walk in, I see this ring in there. And, and I said, that's my ring there. And so the lady comes over. She picks up the ring. She hands it to me. And I put it on my finger, and it fits me perfectly. It fits my finger perfectly. And I have a small finger, smaller than almost all women. It's about a four and a half. And it fits me perfectly. So Jeff offers him, you know, well, and he ends up doing what he said he wouldn't do, but he, he's going to buy me a ring, uh, but, but at a value price. And uh, so he offers him a certain price, and she says, no, we, we won't take that. I'll go back. She, she said, but I'll go back and ask. And he said, no, we won't take it for that. And so we leave. And so a while later, I say, hey, you want to go back to that pawn shop? He said, well, yeah, we'll go back over there and see if they'll 
you know, they'll take it for what we offer. And so we go back in and he offers them again. They didn't take it. The third time was, it, this was the, uh, this was the big hit. And so we go in and Jeff makes the offer and she said, no, but I'll go back and ask. You know, I'm going to ask again because y'all been here three times. I'll go ask him again. She goes back and finally the jeweler comes back. We meet him. He says, I'm a Jewish jeweler. I was engaged to be married. My wife, his uh, fiance jilted me, so uh, this is the ring. And Jeff says, well, I'll give you this much for it. He said, oh, man. He said, all right, I'm tired of seeing it here. Whatever you want to pay for it, you can have it. It's yours. And so God gave me a wedding ring uh, as a, you know, gave him the offering. But Jeff went about to buy me one. So I've always had to look to God. And uh, you can look to God, and He will supply all your needs according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And I know that y'all have been talking about giving and thanksgiving, and I want you to know that as you are stepping into giving, I believe that God is going to pour out His Spirit in your life, your home, your family, and in the healed church. That God's going to expand you and increase you that there will be souls that will be saved off the streets. There will be souls saved in your offices. And that this spirit of giving and generosity is going to impact your whole area in Jesus' name. Let's stand up this morning. I want you to just lift both hands to heaven. And I just want us to, to make a new dedication to God and I want to pray a blessing over you and over your family. Father, this morning I thank you, Lord, for the spirit of generosity that fills our heart and fills our lives. That even as David's heart, he was a man after your own heart, that he was such a man, Father, after your heart, that he, Father, was willing to give extravagantly. Oh God, I pray that that extravagant, generous anointing would hit our lives, our heart, our family. God, so that we truly trust in you. Everything we have is yours, Lord. And that we, Father, are faithful to give back to you and pour out on you. In Jesus' name. Bless every person here. I thank you, Lord, that you bless them in every area of their lives. I thank you, Lord, you increase them. In Jesus' name, that you give seed to the sower. I thank you, Lord, that they're breaking forth in their business. I thank you, Lord, they're breaking forth, Father, in their finances. I thank you, Lord, that they're breaking forth in new avenues and new areas that you, Father, are opening up new channels of blessing, Lord, in Jesus' name, in their life. We praise you, Lord, for doing it. We thank you, Lord, for doing it. I thank you, Lord, that the touch of God is on their life and on their family for good. In Jesus' name, we pray. We thank you, Lord, for doing it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Sister Eileen.